Welcome back to another episode of Hard Out with myself, Jay Thornton, and R. Michael Gall. Today we got two guests, Christopher Brusinski, who's a filmmaker and the lead of his latest feature, Jesse Gavin. The movie is called Northern Shade, right? That's it. How are you doing, fellas? Pretty good. Doing good, yeah. Great. Thanks for having us. I just watched it this morning. It's fucking good. Really good. Thank you. Should be proud of it. Super intense. My gosh. And your performance, dude. Dude. I was so happy. Thank uh, you, man. I appreciate that. I'm so happy you showed up with the mustache. I was hoping you would have that walrus stash intact. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a fake one. I had, to, I had to put it back on. <laughs> I need to get one. I'm so jealous. I got that Keanu Reeves DNA, the patches and shit, you know? <laughs> I think came in full. Do you want to yeah, tell folks sure. what the film is about? Sure. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so Northern Shades about a uh, uh, Army veteran, um, OEF veteran, who who uh, is kind of living a reclusive life on his boat in Connecticut. And he, uh, he finds out his younger brother got involved in something or actually at first his younger brother's missing. And then as he gets into it and unravels the mystery of where he is, he realizes he's, he's kind of in a, an extremist group. So, um, yeah, it's about his, his journey to try to, regain his brother's trust because they've been estranged for several years um, and pull him out of this thing before his brother goes through with whatever the plot is that they're, uh, they're planning. Yeah. Tread some similar ground to our own cactus Jack, which I don't know when this will be released, but this is being recorded on the third and our film is supposed to come out tomorrow. Nice. They supposed to, because I still don't have the pre-order up on voodoo or anything, which is making me nervous sort of but uh actually kind of don't mind if we go that whole too hot for tv thing and have to just sell physical media out of our trunk you know it could be a good marketing (laughs) but uh (laughs) probably that mc hammer energy (laughs) but you guys aren't nearly as off the wall like the bad guy in your film billy i was just describing you off camera our guy's basically him on bath salts yeah yours is a movie i would recommend to anybody <laughs> like ours it's like eh, a certain type of person might enjoy this movie you know most people will be yeah. offended by it etc yours isn't right. offensive you know yours is just solid it's good really well made i mean good he, Lord. Um, what's that sorry really well made my god it, it's gorgeous oh thank you the, the sound is perfect it's just it's really well done. It's yeah, just it does not really feel well like independent. Together. Like, what kind of budget were you guys working with? Pretty low production budget. I mean, we definitely put. Uh, we we it was a tall order of the cast and crew um, based on the budget we had. So it was, it was all in all, it's it's the entire budget with post and you know marketing and, and deliverables and all that is probably going to be under one fifty. Nice. Um, but production was like half that. Right. Right. Um, but it, it looks good because I mean, we had some solid locations in Connecticut, you know, we shot during the fall and it's hard to beat that new England, like fall look for sure. Um, but our DP, um, Greg, Greg Gill has been a longtime friend of both of ours. And, um, I grew up with him in Connecticut. So we both knew the areas we wanted to film at and, uh, we didn't do, have to do much scouting because we grew up around those locations. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> like the the Corey location, we we used to have ragers back there and just bonfires. <laughs> used and, to burn like, trucks for fun. That was some old footage from high school. <laughs> yeah, that used. yeah, that was actually footage from high school. <laughs> How fun was that torching a truck? That was fun. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah you guys make cool. s'mores or anything. No, well, you know, it's funny. We were told by the um, the uh, fire department that like peak burn would only last a few minutes, you know, so we had to like, yeah, really take a documentary approach where it was like, all right, this is it. This is one shot. 
we have to get these shots. Um, but Greg's background is documentary. So he just, you know, he had his, we, we shot it with a red and he had it on a gimbal and he just kept it rolling for the entire time of yeah, the truck burn. For sure. And the truck actually burned for like 30 minutes and it looked like really good. So we, we just never cut. So we had like a 40 minute take. <laughs> so yeah, all those shots in the beginning of the movie, those were one take and we just ran around picking off, you know, the slow pullback, the, mm -hmm. the close up of the truck, the shots of Matthew and Charlie looking at the truck. Like that was just great no running around with, with one take never cutting. Cause that's one of the beauties of digital too. I feel we did that a lot with digital. It's like, just keep it running. Fuck it. Keep it running. Yeah. You know, You're going to piss off your editor, but. Right. If well, you're editing case, the movie. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Gavin. Yeah. How far back do you guys go? Because I noticed on IMDb you had worked together on some short films and shit in the past. You guys have known each other for years or what? We uh we actually um when I moved out to LA, um, before I made the move, I just went on Craigslist and just looked for a cheap place to live. So uh there's a guy that was um had a house and he's kind of running like a hostel. So you have you know bunk beds and a lot of people are just moving to LA or, or maybe just there for like the summer. It was right by, um, there's like dance studios in North Hollywood. So there's a lot of people from like Europe that were there for the summer. So I just looked that up and I got put in a, in a room. And, um, after my first roommate moved out a couple months in, Chris moved in. So he was like, maybe one of the first people I met in LA, we got put, our first creative decision was I walked in the room, uh, and the guy was gone and there was like a new bag there and the beds were moved side by side. <laughs> <laughs> like and so together? yeah push together like it, it became like a queen and it was just you know I was, cl I was clocking a lot of information you know i got like there's the bag there's there's like a bass and i was like oh musician that's cool i'm and picturing then, the planes um, trains and automobiles shot so then uh and then finally i think it was like a couple hours later he came home and started, started talking and you know i'm from uh, upstate new york because from connecticut i feel like they're you know they're kind of similar areas and um, yeah, just got to talking. I think we, we talked about going to a hockey game. And then uh, after we had maybe a 20 minute chat, I kind of brought up, I said, hey, so um, I don't know what's going on with the beds being side by side, but <laughs> do you want to like move it? So that was like our, our first creative collaboration was uh, not agreeing, agreeing <laughs> to move the beds back to where they were. I don't know why they got moved together. Who like agreeing that we're not going to sleep next to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is like, can, we, can we get to the bottom of why you put them together in the first place right <laughs> that was the the guy the guy put the beds together the guy it's running the house the guy had the secret camera is the one who put them together right? <laughs> exactly yeah yeah we didn't do uh, a sweep for hidden cameras that's what we should have done <laughs> so did you use a casting agent when you went to make this movie or you just already had all these actors like gavin rounded up or no jesse so jesse jesse was the only one where um like I knew from the beginning. I, I mean, also when I sent the script to Je I sent the script to Jesse and I sent it to Greg because um, I had been workshopping it a little bit with my buddy Kyle, who is an OEF Army veteran. And once it was kind of in a good spot, I sent it to Greg and Jesse. And um, if if neither of them wanted to do it or thought we could do it for the for the budget, um, I was probably not going to make the movie. But yeah. Jesse definitely had reservations, which he can tell you about. But I, if if it was a hard no from Jesse or Greg, I wasn't going to make the movie. Um, but you know, Jesse was was always in mind for the lead, and then Joe, who plays his younger brother, um, Joseph Poliquin. Um, Jesse and I had worked with him on a short film called Sven. Mm -hmm. and he didn't have any lines in that movie, and he just played a kid who gets uh spoiler killed um but he was so good and emotive that um and there's just a, a kind of a kindred spirit and resemblance like between joe and jesse so i i just had him in mind for the brother and but i didn't know if he was going to be able to do it because he's a pretty busy guy but um yeah he was thrilled he read the script and got back to me like same day <laughs> um so so we had those two and then i casted for 
most everyone else, I actually no, sorry, Alejandro, I I always had in mind for Noel. His, he's his great in it too. Buddy. He's so good. Like he's got kind of like an Oscar Isaac and drive kind of vibe to him. I thought like I could see him yeah. carrying oh, nice. a film. You know what I mean? Just that he has a presence. Yeah, yeah, and we really we we also tried to. He has a natural presence for sure, and we also tried to highlight that and um, give him a, a little more of a ethereal presence too. We backlit him a lot, tried to give him a little halo lighting, you know, um, yeah. just anything subtle we could do to to make him, um, you know, spoiler, a ghost. Um, so he's the Val Kilmer Elvis to Jesse's <laughs> Clarence Worley. <laughs> yeah Alejandro, it was it was kind of like the three of those those guys like i those were the core like if if any one of those guys couldn't do it or if they fell through i, I don't know how we would have made the movie right on. Um, and then everyone else um i either knew um and had in mind to cast or we found on backstage yeah. nice including yeah. billy who does a great job so Billy came, yeah, Billy's um, played by Romano Orzari, and he does a really good job. And he came recommended from uh, uh, a buddy of mine who I met actually on the film festival circuit for Spent, um, this guy, Christopher Martini, who was a producer and director in New York. And um, uh, he and I met in Montana at a film festival, and, and we had, like, similar um, – taste in movies and and we kind of kept in touch and he was going to produce the movie but he had just had a, a baby boy so he was a little occupied um but he he told me he had someone in mind for billy and and romano sent in an audition and um it, that was the hardest part to cast i mean as as you guys probably know it's like you know when when you have like a villain that espouses like some hard to swallow stuff, um, you want to make sure someone can do it without um, going to a uh, villain. You know, you want to be on board with them for a certain, up to a certain extent. Right. <laughs> so you don't want, you don't want them to be villain like right off the top. Um, and Billy has that really, uh romano rather has that that kind of cunning touch to everything he does so Definitely. He, he was giving me some serious stacy keach in american history x vibes yeah like those guys could have gone bowling together <laughs> oh man that wouldn't quite the game <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i i i had a couple <clears throat> references um for for the dynamics um i'd say for matthew who plays the kind of the security patrol for the militia the big guy who gets mm -hmm. um, shot um that dynamic between matthew and billy i was going for kind of a um grapes of wrath kind of thing um yeah um matthew's the lenny obviously yes yeah and then for the the dynamic, like you said, American History X, that that kind of like trying to get your younger brother out of something that you might have subscribed to at one time, or or you don't subscribe to at all, but you're you have some kind of a strange relationship with someone and trying to pull them out of it. But there's this other figure who's definitely more front and center in this person's life, and you're trying to figure out how to actually them out from under the influence mm -hmm. when i think too there is a parallel it's like what jesse found that brotherhood he found in the military his brother was looking for he found it in this movement which yeah. is in our research a lot of what this shit comes down to is obviously loners isolated people looking for a tribe yes find it in these groups you know yeah yeah i'm glad you mentioned that word tribe because that i i don't know if you've read that book by sebastian Junger. yeah i did read that yeah, yeah, that book. book really opened my eyes to some things, and um, I took that research and I actually gave that book to to my buddy Kyle, um, and so we talked about that book a lot, and we 
we try to incorporate some of those themes mm-hmm. in the script. like in the military no one falls through the cracks charlie obviously is falling through the cracks you know and that's where he yeah. lands but in the military i've been in the military there's no falling through the cracks there's so much accountability involved at all times that right. you always feel like a vital cog in the machine which is what really that book is about you know people feeling purposeless yeah. because they once you get your tribe gets too big essentially it was this thesis right then once it reaches in, it's not a big number. It's like 150 people or something. Once you go beyond that, people start slipping through the cracks. Mm. You know? Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, that was pretty fascinating. 150 people is like the golden. It's just not much. No. At all. <laughs> Jonestown might have had more. <laughs> right. So what were your reservations, Jesse, with doing this film? Was it just fiscally because he couldn't pay you your quote or what, what was it? <laughs> Uh, 100%, I think, um, uh, I've never like in all the years of acting, I've never, uh, uh, played someone that was in the military. So I had, you know, I had it would be like a brand new exploration for me. Um, a lot of times it's like, you know, you, people offer you roles. Well, the greatest thing about working with Chris is I feel like he always gives me roles that have just are brand new for me. Um, and I really, which is awesome because I really have to like do the work and, and do something new. Um, I think it, the best way I can, I, I just liken it to like when I watch hockey movies. They grew up playing hockey. And when you're kind of in a world and you watch a hockey movie and you see someone playing a hockey player that's so clearly not a hockey player, it really bo- it bothers me a lot. And that's hockey. That's like, that's like much lower stakes. And so I think I just, um, I just didn't want to be the equivalent of that to someone else. Um, and, and because it's going to be brand new for me, I think I had like a solid two months um, that I got the script before we started filming. So it was a good amount of time. But I think just reading it combined with it's, you know, it's a huge role. It's a roller coaster ride. So there's there's so much amazing stuff to get ready for. I, I just wanted to make sure that that I didn't do like a disrespectful portrayal of someone that was uh, of a veteran. Uh, yeah. So that, that was really my reservation was I just didn't want to be that guy that is just, you know, doing the I don't want to call it the Hollywood version of a veteran. But like, you know, to just yeah, to just kind of be a jerk about it. <laughs> So. Did you feel more like the tactical type stuff would be an issue or do you just mean the way a soldier carries themselves or what? Because I'll say real quickly as a veteran, again, completely bought you because that's what Thank you. the military is. It's just this huge melting pot of people from all walks of life. And in the movies, they tend to make them all these lantern jawed GI types, like, right. you know, even great movies like Hacksaw Ridge or something. They all just kind of have that GI look to them, but having served, that's not the case. Those guys are few and far between, you know? So super now, refreshing the way you cast this movie. Everybody looks like real people, which to me is fucking huge. It's, mm-hmm. you know, like movies like Bubble where Soderbergh would just go to a town and cast out of the town. Yeah. I eat that shit up. You know, I hate that yeah. central casting look when you see the the six doctors standing there like the Avengers or whatever with the wind machine on. I hate that shit. So props. 100%. I think uh, one of the cool things about that was uh, I got to kind of get Kyle Berg, who was... Um, the military tech advisor for the film, which uh, Chris mentioned earlier, I got his phone number pretty early on and was just calling him and just asking, uh, cause there was the tactical issue. Like I wanted to make sure that that looked good. So I got to, uh, I had five days working with Kyle before we started filming. Um, but it was just like the two months of just hopping on the phone with him and just asking him all sorts of weird questions and like just all the different characters that he, uh, that he knew people that he knew the different types of people. And I, I, I would basically just ask him about everyone he knew and all the stories and in my brain was just kind of crafting together who like a real person would be. That's a, that's a veteran, as opposed to, I would say if you, if we, if I, if I had one week to prepare, I would have shown up just like a, I'm a military guy. And I would just been like a robot military guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So getting to talk to Kyle all that time, I felt like I got to create uh, based off of stories. He told me, I kind of just took them all and just crafted what I thought was like a real person. So, yeah. Cool. yeah. He had some really, I mean, you guys talked for a while and, 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 you got to really go into some nuanced stuff. And I was glad that that happened because it was, it, it, like you said, it was, it's not just the tactical stuff. It's just like all the, all the things that make up that person and that experience. And um, yeah, it was good that you two got to talk. And like, I, I remember that the moment of the, um, you told me about the story of the sunglasses where it was like, <laughs> If you're like thrust, if you're sleeping and you, you're woken up extremely fast and you have to scramble, what's the first thing you, you reach for? And and Kyle was, Kyle said his sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, I told him, you know, I, I think Adam Sandler has a song about uh, wallet phone keys. 
which is like when you when you when I leave the apartment, I I just like I just do that. I just I don't even think about doing. It. I just kind of do it. So I I asked Kyle. I was like, if you yeah, if you kind of woke up and you didn't know where you were, what would be the first thing you would do? And he was like, without your sun losing your sunglasses, such a big deal. So I don't think that it wasn't even necessarily that. I don't even know if I did it. I think there was maybe a take or two where I did it, but it was just more so like feeling that in my body and like what are those like little things that someone does when they have that history? What's kind of like built built into their their muscle memory. Devils yeah. in the details. It's awesome. Yeah. What kind of, uh, Jesse, what kind of acting training have you got? Are you formally trained or? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, well, I, so I went to, uh, when I was an undergraduate, I did a theater degree. Um, so, uh, they didn't have like a proper BFA acting program or anything, but you know, I got to do plays and taking acting classes. And then when I moved to New York city, I studied Meisner, uh, at, uh, the William Esper studio. So I, I studied with a guy named Terry Knickerbocker who, uh, the reason I say it with him is because he uh, would coach Sam Rockwell on this movie. And I'm Sam just a huge Sam Rockwell man. fan. Fuck yeah. <sighs> Love it. Like I saw, I remember when I saw Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, I was oh. like, it was my senior year of college. And I had like gone down to New York City the summer before. And I like, I like, you know, I just, I thought I was like, oh, I'm going to finish my senior year and I'm just going to hit it hard. And I felt so confident. And I saw Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. And I had just like a crisis. I, had a br- I was like, just because it was like one of those things where like, I'm pretty sure yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> and it was like to see an actor be that good. Um, so, yeah. So when I was in New York, I heard that his coach taught at Esper Studios. So I just, yeah, I made it happen. <laughs> Perfect. It's such Perfect. a thin line between being inspired and just completely intimidated when you see somebody crush shit like that. <laughs> yeah, I would say intimidated. I, it, it, yeah, yeah it, it haunted me. <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, it, it, it worked. It paid off. Yeah, right. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Yeah, you were you were incredible in this. It was, and that's my. For me, I mean, I'm not a filmmaker. I'm just a dumb actor. Um, so I watch I watch films from that perspective. I look at the performances. You could be you could be reading IKEA instructions, and I'm just looking at the, at the performances of it. And nothing didn't ring like none of usually. In a in a in a smaller film, in an indie film, in a lower budget film, especially when you're casting people you know or guys that someone you know knows, usually people will keep someone in the movie who eh, <laughs> you don't really have the heart to to say yeah. you know you don't really say can I have your license and registration convincingly we're gonna have to read you know so they'll keep, they'll keep the, some of those smaller roles and and they don't ring true everything in this thing is is just naturalistic and exactly. all the performances are it it's really fucking well done That's, <laughs> from that from that perspective oh, yeah. as well it just just yeah. the performances and and i mean billy pontificates and he does bad guy speeches yeah. and things which people don't typically do in life as much but even those, like he's a pedagogue, though pedagogues yeah, do that shit. Yeah, yeah. It, it was so so well performed. The whole thing, front to back, amazing. Yeah, which is a testament, of course, to the director. But uh, that's why I asked too if you had a casting agent because, like you said, every little role, no one feels yeah. as if they're acting, which is usually the major thing. Yeah, across in these yeah. Budget, this budget point, you know. Even with the backstage, I mean, we found Titania, who plays Frankie, through backstage. And she, I mean, she had a tall order because we had to shoot, and I sprung this on her like only two days before, but we had to shoot her big monologue on the back of the boat where she's she's telling the story of why she's not a cop anymore. Um, we had to shoot that on day one. And, and we hadn't even met in person <laughs> yet. <laughs> I actually hadn't met a lot of the actors in person because this was, we did all production during COVID. So I didn't have the luxury of, of doing any in-person auditions or callbacks. Like everything was cast um, aside from Jesse and Alejandro and people I knew everything was cast like through zoom. Um, So yeah, I mean, she came, she came prepared day one and did the monologue and, Thank God, because I mean, we, the day one, day one was a nightmare because of, <laughs> we had to get the boat from one marina to another, which was up a river. And normally, 
normally it should take about 35, 40 minutes. Um, it took like three and a half hours because um, the boat kept stalling. And then we're down to one engine and that one engine kept stalling. And then we're like, are we actually going to be able to get the boat up river? Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a real uh, heart of darkness. Moment. It's like, are we ever going to get up this river? Um, but uh, we finally got to the place where we had to shoot that monologue and, and she nailed it. Um, and same with uh, Joel Cena, who plays Austin, the guy with the eye patch. Yeah. yeah. He was, uh, I cast him off backstage. Like he just, he nailed the audition. Like a lot of people submitted for that role. I don't know what it was about that role, but I think we had the most submissions on that. Having an eye patch in my reel would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah. And then you kind of get to see what people think is an eye patch. (laughs) There were quite a few, like, you know, every range from, Oh man, it, it, it ranged like just from a, a bed sheet to like, to whatever, to finding the, just anything to put in their eye. Gauze, and, scotch taped around their head. Oh yeah. Duct tape, scotch tape, bed sheets, towels. <laughs> it was, it was the gamut, but, um, you know, or you could go to Walgreens and spend three bucks to get an eye patch, which is what Joel did. Yeah. <laughs> he, he had an eye patch and it looked good. And he nailed the audition and he did like, I think the whole scene, I think for his audition. I'm like, who is this guy? Nice. And it was the first movie he's ever been. And it's cool. Cause you start to build your little ensemble, you know what I mean? So it's like, you find a guy like that and then you go to make your next movie. I'm like, Oh, let me think of a little role for him or whatever, you know? Yeah. Start building it out. Like you guys had worked together in shorts and the dude yeah. played Charlie, you know, you start just yeah. building a team, which is one of the cool things about indie filmmaking. And then it's like, as a group, you can graduate to bigger and bigger productions. The people who aren't working as well, you kind of just don't call them back, but you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> quiet, quiet, quit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, uh-huh. on the board. That's on the wheel. I think quiet quitting. Um, one of the things I appreciated too, as much as the acting was so naturalistic, and if you get around to watching our film, it's going to be ironic that I'm saying this because ours is so fucking over the top. And I mean, it takes place in a single basement for the whole movie. So we had to do a lot of crazy shit to just feel dynamic. So it didn't feel stayed and everything. But uh, your directing style, at least in this film, very Clint Eastwood, very unobtrusive, mm. old school, put the camera in a good fucking spot, let the actors act. That's really what I love and prefer. And just like, even that scene where they start they go in for the extraction how you're up on the stairwell yeah and you're looking down i'm like at first oh do they get a crane they got a crane shot here or whatever oh no right. it reveals the stairs and then he comes up around to the camera that's just good old-fashioned good filmmaking you know put the camera <laughs> in a smart spot economical so yeah. props on that front um, <laughs> I, I gotta give greg a lot of credit for that shot because he he was breaking his back like holding holding the you know however much it weighs with the full gimbal i think like 40 pounds but holding it over the um the railing yeah this is a pretty high staircase it's like it's actually two stories so every time they and we did like nine takes so poor jesse and titania had to like stalk all the way through the field but then all the way up a two-story staircase to enter the attic but greg had to hold the the camera over over the railing um to get the wide shot and then when you pull back and realize oh we're like on top of some kind of platform and now we're tracking them coming up the staircase that was that was a tough shot to get but that was one of the few that like greg and i storyboarded most of the movie but we as i said before he comes from a documentary background so he can we can completely change the shot list on the day of, and yeah. we won't get, we, we don't get tied to it. We just, it's our blueprint. It's like, like, here's the wish list. Here are the things that I, I know we would want to make the, the scene work. But as you probably know, like locations dictate how you're going to film. And, yeah. and Lighting, everything, so many factors. It's like yeah, being in a fight, you got a game plan, but you know, like Tyson said, as soon as you get in the mouth, the game plan, it goes out the window. Yeah. As soon as your boat keeps stalling and shit, everything. Yes. All right. Yeah. Now yeah, we're yeah. scrambling. Yeah. So um, yeah. props to Greg for, I mean, 
thank you for saying that about like we we did want to make an unobtrusive movie like we didn't want it to be my favorite shit just immerse me in it you know yeah don't keep reminding me i'm a director look look see me which again if you see our movie will be ironic but it's a different kind (laughs) of animal january 6th how much did that play into this did that inspire you to create this or no i mean well that the the interesting thing is you know that that was 2021 right beginning of Mm -hmm. 2021 so i wrote it i wrote this script from like end of 2018 to beginning of 2020 and then i gave it to kyle and then we worked on it a little bit so so we had the movie written and ready to film um by you know we started production november 2020 so we filmed we filmed the whole movie all the connecticut stuff in november 2020 um and then we filmed just the afghanistan scenes in march 2021 you filmed those out in cali i take it Yep. Yeah. Those were just outside of LA in Silmar. Um, and that was a one day shoot. We had to get all those, we had to get those three Afghanistan flashbacks in, in one day, which was a challenge for sure. Um, fun with blood work and all that kind of shit involved. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I knew how impactful, especially the Noel's scene needed to be. So we did that first and we spent the most time on that. Um, I was actually really surprised we got all three scenes done <laughs> in in one day because they were all also they were all scripted for daylight. <laughs> so it's right. like, you, you don't have the luxury of like, oh, we have all day. No, you have like you have like eight hours. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the I'd say what played more of a, a role in the writing and in just what the militia's end goal was. Um, was the that uh the kidnapping of the i think it was the michigan governor at the time yeah whitmer i think right whitmer yeah yeah that the the militia plan the planned kidnap yeah. because <laughs> at the time that was considered pretty extreme right. <laughs> you know our the the sliding scale of of what's considered political violence and extreme has has um been adjusted a bit yeah. um so which is really interesting. I, I don't know, you know, uh, mm. if, if the rhetoric keeps up in terms of how divisive things have gotten. Um, I'm curious, you know, it, it's sad to say, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was uh, a, an event, some kind of political oh, violence yeah. that happened in the U.S. I mean, in this militia movement goes, I mean, it's been simmering for yeah not a century i mean timothy mcveigh all that kind of shit you know yeah essentially tied into it but jesse switching gears are you now or have you ever been a functional alcoholic because you crush that shit (laughs) thank you i appreciate that uh i will i will say that was maybe the least research i had to do uh i i um i don't know if i've ever uh functional alcoholic Maybe at times uh, I will say um, I think uh, I was one of the people uh, early pandemic that was like, oh, this is great. I drink every night. Yeah. yeah. So I think uh, the being at home and just hitting the bottle. And then finally, I think with like a lot of people had had that moment where there's kind of had to check themselves and be like, all right, you can't can now just live like this. Yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, there's a lot of uh, in terms of like the living on a boat and hitting the sauce. I think it was uh, I had a, a maybe a recent bout with it. But uh, I would say, generally speaking, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say alcoholic. I would say, yeah, I come from an Irish family, so um, we enjoy <laughs> our drinks. Um, but but yeah, it's always been it's always been handled. <laughs> With a mustache like that, you're tasting the beer all day anyway, whether exactly, you're drinking it exactly. or not. You might as well drink it. Get a little sand. It's the equivalent of like a like a wine cork. I get it later on. <laughs> exactly. There are a lot of mannerisms that Jesse. Um, exuded that I, I don't know if it was just on a psychic level but you know I'd, I'd i'd written kind of the the alcoholism part of of justin's character based on like three friends that i that i know who struggle with it so they have like some pretty particular mannerisms and jesse was only able to meet a couple of, of those guys but um he just nailed the 
the aura of of what that is and what that looks like especially being so reclusive and especially having everyone having gone through the isolation of covid that was like a the script wasn't originally written to be set during covid you know because when right. i started writing it we, covid didn't exist um so but it really inspired the story in a way that i didn't realize it would like it just made everything more heightened and real. Yeah, I love that. There's only one mention of it. I think by Noel's wife, right? She yeah, says something about COVID. But other than that, it's just like what it is. It's a fact of life. You got to wear a fucking mask. You know, you take it off to have a beer or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of <laughs> that scene actually. So Noel's wife is played. Um, her character name is Michelle. She's played by Rose Murray Guess. And I met Rose in an acting class and. 2016 I think and that there were a couple people that really stood out in that class and um, she was one of them and so she was actually another person who I had in mind I didn't know for sure if I was going to cast her but when she read the part I was like okay done so um, you did you have scene, aspirations to be an actor before or um no no as a I director actually, you took it just to I did yeah I took it as, actors yeah, yeah, I took it because I wanted to direct more. Because um, yeah, I was editing for a while, and I, I was like, well, if I'm gonna um, be communicating with actors, I kind of need to know <laughs> what the process. As an editor, you see a lot of bad takes, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Right, which is interesting yeah. too, as a director to kind of yeah. like, what was it? What was the difference? What did they change to get the good take? You know what I mean? It's yeah. all instructive, is my point. Exactly. Like editing, acting, et cetera, it's all instructive to being a good director. Well, that yeah, it's 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 really fascinating because you know a lot of the times I'm watching dailies and you're seeing like the the heads and tails of the actual take, but for the most part, the camera cuts before you can actually hear the director mm -hmm. talking with the actor, and so that was missing that element of an education, really. So. Uh, I took that class and um, it helped me. I mean, I, I actually found out that I actually like liked acting, like with a strong piece of writing. I was like, oh, acting is, um, at least for scripted, it's just really relying on the, the script. Um, I, I mean, it's not obviously you have to do your own work and homework and stuff, but for me, it was, it was, uh, pretty eye-opening how how relevant strong writing needs to be or, or what actually you hear that jesse you're saying your amazing performance is owed to his script right that's what he's doing yeah there. so what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> no no i actually just i it it made me a better writer basically that's what i'm saying like taking an acting class made me a better writer and i'll probably do other acting classes just to immerse myself in that kind of world like i, I don't want to necessarily be an actor but i think you have to be pretty well-rounded um, yeah that's an interesting bit of advice for writers in general but especially writers who want to direct because a lot of writers too aren't super social they might be kind of timid which yeah. you can't be as a director so that could also right. help on that front taking an acting class you know just to open up a bit 100 percent hundred percent. I mean, yeah, I was struggling with public speaking for a while and the acting just, you know, threw that out the window. <laughs> as to the, as to the writing of, of, of Nightshade, one thing that I found really, <laughs> really impressive was Northern shade. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I like Nightshade. As night, as the word night came out of my mouth. Yeah. Hey, we've gotten northern exposure, which, which I, <laughs> let's go that way. It's Anytime actually someone says on, that you should expose yourself to. Them. Yeah, a couple of our award laurels have said northern exposure, like oh, different funny. film festivals. Northern lights. <laughs> or northern, northern lights. lights. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nightshade's better than all those. I like nightshade. <laughs> yeah, it's now nightshade. It is. Um, yeah. In Europe. But, but as Jack to the writing said, of it, it's the fucking name of it. Sorry. Go one on. thing that I found really impressive was so many times when especially when the director also writes a film you've got so many you've got 
several very distinctive different characters in your film and they all sound differently they don't they all the cadence of their of their speech and their just the writing for them is is all completely different like you're writing in all these different voices mm. and one thing that's always annoyed me and jay and i go back and forth about this guy but i can't stand quentin tarantino because every character in every film talks exactly like quentin tarantino samuel l jackson is a black quentin tarantino and John Travolta is an Italian Quentin Tarantino, and this guy's the, and they all sound exactly the same. Your people all sounded individual and and different, mm. and that's that's that's. I found the writing to be just outstanding, and thank you. Obviously, the performances lent to lent to it yeah. being believable from that from that direction, but it doesn't it can't get there without without the writing first. That was definitely uh, a fear, for sure, was like, you don't want every character to sound the same. Um, yeah, I, I think I was pretty aware of it with, I knew I wanted Billy to, to constantly be trying to get something out of somebody. So I kind of knew what his voice was going to be. And I knew that Justin was just going to be a man of few words. So... I knew what, what his voice was going to be, but um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a game plan for. I, I remember when I was writing Austin, he started to sound too much like um, uh, Charlie, the younger brother, and so I did a pass on just those two characters, um, making sure that everything Charlie had was rooted in the. Uh, you know, the fractured relationship that he had with Justin and then just making sure Austin's voice was um, really clear of any of that. Awesome. awesome. Really well done. Really well done. Thank you. I was say also, uh, the first time I read this script and uh, with, with all of Chris's work, it's it's really cool to just read it and you I always uh, hear the characters, you know, after the first sentence or two sentences in you're immediately, it's a character. It's, you don't hear like, it's not like Chris's voice doing the character. Mm. Um, so yeah, they're, they're super well-defined. I also um, really appreciate about uh, Chris's scripts that they're, they're very much word perfect. Uh, just from, from projects we worked on before, he wrote it a particular way because he wants it said that way. Um, and so, you know, it's, I don't know if there's a, a better way to do it. I, I really prefer when it's word perfect because then especially as you're looking at the script, you know, everything is there for a purpose. And so, you know, if you don't quite get it, it's, there you go, you got to figure it out. And it's usually going to help you astronomically in figuring out the character to, to figure out the, you know, the phrase that you don't get. But um, yeah, it's all in there for a reason. And, and um, yeah, that's right. You know the, that he wants it said that way. Yeah. Being a writer director is such a different thing than just being a gun for hire director. Mm. And you get a lot more, some will be improvisational, but, you get that word perfect shit a lot more with an auteur who wrote in is directing it. And that's nice because there's nothing worse, right? Than a director who doesn't know what he wants, but when it is a Tarantino or whoever is very specific, Nope, say it the way I fucking wrote it. They know exactly what they want. Maybe once you get the take he wants, then you can play around a little bit, but to be sure. searching for it in the take, you know, that's kind of tough. We made our movie without a script, believe it or not. But, uh, wow. that was, I mean, I scripted his dialogue, of course. Cause he goes on fucking 10 minute long hate speech rants, but uh, yeah, just structurally, we made it very with no crew, nothing. It was just the two of us in a basement for like years, <laughs> <laughs> literally. I mean, not years on end, but you know, a shoot day I just, years saw right there. Movie. I just saw a movie uh, called masking threshold that, that kind of did the same thing. And I don't know if that's, it's a it's a product of you know being resourceful and having low budget but also like what i think covid mm -hmm. what's well, the single location of it i'm not going to try and make a movie without a script with 50 locations you know right that's just a logistic nightmare or whatever I mean, you can still have a shot list i guess and everything and do a curb your enthusiasm and improvise dialogue if you trust your actors but 
I think the way you guys did is right. Did you have to pay a lot of money to get that Willie Dunn song at the end of it? <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the only song. So every other song in the movie is, is by a musician friend. So, um, they let me use their music for a small licensing fee. Um, the Willie Dunn song, which I fell in love with the first time I heard it. And yeah, I was like, well, amazing. now I'm screwed because I love this song. And I want it in the movie. Um, uh, so our music supervisor, Zach uh, Sinek, who's been really helpful with this stuff. Cause I, you know, like, <laughs> I like writing, but I don't like writing agreements and licensing contracts. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's been a, that's been a process because we had to negotiate first, um, you know, getting the song for festivals. Yep, festival right. you a blanket right. festival license and you usually it lasts a year. So um, if you get distribution, are you going to owe more money? You got to kick it out or what? So as soon as, as soon as we do sign for distribution, yeah, I'm, that's one of the first calls I got to make is to say the song goes and you got, hey, so we got it. distribution, which is awesome. But now I know <laughs> our distribution deal is so bad. We only have enough money to give Willie Dunn's estate cash, right? Well, the thing is, is like, I think there's a misconception that when a movie gets distribution, there's now like money. No, <laughs> <laughs> there's still no money. Like, I still don't have any money to give people. So I'm going to be asking for, I'm going to be, I'm I mean, shit, you're spending money to go on the for, festival route. Yeah. You know? Right. Did you guys budget for the festival submissions or is that something you've just been doing out of pocket? So festival submissions were part of like my, yeah, like my, um, I had a budget for like after post because I didn't mm -hmm. know what to call it because I'd never done a feature before. Yeah, marketing, so, really. Marketing, publicity. publicity. Yeah, all those things. Cause we, this is your first feature? Yeah. Yeah, first feature. Um, okay. <laughs> so it was quite a learning, quite a learning curve. Um, just, yeah, budgetary. Um, we, I, I did have a budget for film submissions and I went over it. Um, I actually, when we were making the movie, you know, everything was locked down. That was November, 2020. So uh, my original plan was not to submit to any festivals. I was just going to try to go make the best movie I could and then get a distribution deal. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, end of 2021, right around the time when we're actually finishing the movie, all the festivals, most of them opened up again. And, and then I was like, well, it would be nice to submit here and then here and then here. And then all of a sudden. It's like for writers submitting to screenplay contests, it can become a black hole where you just get stuck in that. It's total black hole. Here. And it's a costly black hole. Exactly. Um, With very, I mean, I, your odds are not great. You might as well buy a fucking scratch off the odds. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's submissions. And now so many festivals are such star fuckers, even like a slam. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Something like Austin South by Southwest right. 20 years ago. It's like smaller films would populate their programming. But yeah, these days they they're all top heavy. You know, it's a very different ball game, you know, and you see it's like, well, OK, you know, the festival has to have a couple movies with some names in it because they need to draw people to yep. spend money on badges and tickets and all that stuff. And which is great. That's fine. Um, you know, you can have one or two centerpiece films, but like when it's like every title and you know that the movie already has distribution in place, exactly. it's like, why are you giving them the platform? They don't need it. Right. And so it's, it's been pretty, it's been pretty interesting. It's like what um, Robert Redford created Sundance for versus what it is now. It's like, come on, yeah. like Spike Jones is screening shorts at Sundance and stuff. Like, what are we doing? He doesn't need yeah. that. Just put it on YouTube, man. You got millions of followers or whatever, right? Right. right. So do do a little bragging. What uh, what's been your festival success? What kind of? I'm I'm going to go ahead and assume you guys have guys have taken home a bunch of stuff from festivals. I mean, we've we've gotten into seven festivals so far, and they run the spectrum from like pretty small, like inaugural first time festivals to. Um, I think the longest running festival we've gotten into is Woods Hole, Woods Hole and Mass. And that's a really good New England festival. Like I, I grew up knowing about that festival. So mm -hmm. that was kind of like our, it's like the New England version of, I don't know, 
Telluride, I guess. I don't yeah. know. It, it doesn't have the same prestige, but in, in New England, it's pretty well known. Um, I think, uh, you know, we've won, we've won awards at most of the festivals we've gotten into, which I think is really interesting because um, we haven't gotten into a lot. <laughs> but the ones we have gotten into, we've won awards at. Right. We had crazy. one festival that had the balls to screen Cactus Jack and we swept everything in it so we can relate. <laughs> it's tough getting in there, but, and then it's like, I mean, like can't that be a precursor wouldn't it be nice if more festivals saw that and they're like oh we'll accept these guys they're obviously good you know but it's tough yeah yeah we won we won best screenplay at phoenix and that was that was our our premiere but also it was like our first award so it was um that felt good we felt like we had some good momentum and then then we had like a dry spell <laughs> we didn't get into any festivals that were playing in may and june and so, um, you know, with festivals, it's like you're at the mercy of whatever their notification date is. So you're constantly just waiting to know if you got in, mm-hmm. um, which makes which makes adhering to premier regulations very, very tough because a lot of these festivals have clauses or stipulations that, you know, they'll only accept you if you're a certain premier. But yeah, you, don't, exactly. you don't know that. And so you can't it's. For a movie like ours, low budget and yours, you can't, you don't have the, the luxury of turning down a festival if, if they're asking you if you can play it. And so I'm like, yeah, we can play the festival. And then, oh, a month later, you find out you're ineligible. Yeah. They were going to accept your movie, but you, they found out that you already had a New England premiere. So they can't, you know, things like that. Well, Stop. these guys, all these people who didn't take you are going to regret not taking Night of the right. Let me tell you that. <laughs> You're damn right. Shady Acres. What's it called? Shady Acres. Shady, shady Acres. So, shady Acres. So, talking about that, shady. the word perfect of it all, the script of it all, the auteur of it all, do you have any inclinations to just direct something you didn't write, or do you only plan to direct shit you write? Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I have to send you a script. (laughs) Okay, sweet. Uh, Yeah, I, uh, I definitely want to. I, the only thing I've ever directed that I didn't write was actually, uh, Sven, which was the short film, uh, Jesse, me and Joe did, um, before Northern Shade. And, um, I had a, I had fun taking that script that I didn't write and, um, figuring out how to film it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it was like, in a way, it was pretty liberating. Um, and I could see how, I mean, just it, just in terms of a production standpoint, if you're not so concerned, like Jesse said, and, and, and you guys have said about Tarantino, but like, if you aren't so concerned with being word perfect, then it's kind of uh, a little liberating. Yeah. Um, so I would, yeah, I would definitely... And you got someone to blame. Like, yeah, oh, we did what we could with the script, but yeah, people love throwing writers under the bus. Trust me. Yes. Well, it's like a three. It's it's going to go through another rewrite in the edit anyway. You know, it's like yeah, you make three movies: the one you write, the one you shoot, the one you cut, right? Yeah, yeah. So unless you're all three, um, the movie's going to get. What's your favorite part of the process? Is it editing? No, no. It used to be um it used to be i started i started, jesse and i have had lots of conversations about editing because jesse just <laughs> i've been doing this shit for 12 years and jesse's cut a, a hulu tv series really so you're an editor now editing's fun <laughs> as hell man to me that might be my favorite part of the process you know yeah yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a cool okay. part uh I, one thing i want to say about chris's uh editing process for this is um is that uh he's the producer writer director editor so uh so many of the like producing decisions he made um and things that he made happen then to see him have to edit stuff out that like he just fought so hard to make happen and there was i think of the ambulance scene but i'm sure there's other scenes where there's like locations that he just made happen and pulled off miracles and then he's just like ah the the editor of me knows i gotta cut it and i I took my head off because that's tough. <laughs> That's that old Stephen King yeah. kill your darlings thing. You got to be able to kill your yeah. darlings. And as an editor who wrote it and then shot it, that's got to be tough, but you got to do it. 
Yeah. There are some, yeah, there are some favors that I pulled and, and, and we got some really cool props or locations and it just turned out like doesn't fit the story. I mean, the, I think honestly, the greatest piece of editing advice I ever got, and, and you can argue that, that, that other movies don't follow this, but, um, so like my mentor is Mike McCusker, who's an editor. Um, and I've worked with him for a decade now mm-hmm. and, uh, towards like the middle of the editing process for Northern shade, he, we were talking about some other movie, um, that he was working on and, and then I got to talking about how I have like these, this B story that isn't quite working in Northern Shade. And you actually don't even see, it's not there anymore. There was like a, a, a side plot that was happening. What was the side plot? Well, it was, it was, it was actually, it followed Frankie. It followed Frankie's character, the PI. And like it, she was figuring shit out about the militia at the same time Justin was. And the piece of advice I got was, uh, a movie can only have one heartbeat. And so I had to really think about like what that heartbeat was and, and what I should focus on. And when I realized like the movie is about the brothers, then it was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and it's not that supports that is going to stay. Yeah. Well, and it depends on what the movie is too. Cause I think it's something like sure. prisoners where you got Jake Gyllenhaal is doing this investigation. Meanwhile, Hugh right. Jackman's doing his thing. But the right. movie itself is a mystery. Yours isn't so much a mystery; it's like a character study. So yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's interesting too because I did want it to start as a bit of a mystery, but then once you're in it, you're like, you're yeah, like first act mystery, etc. You know, by midpoint though, that shit should be dispensed with. You know, yeah, so I think that was good advice, and I think it was smart to cut that probably. And another thing, nice lean hour and a half. Thank you. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> two hour and 20 minute long action movies like what are we doing folks what are we doing no one wants to sit through that no that's a whole like, other screening you fit in per day at the theater yeah. like what are you doing like i i i'm a huge fan of matt reeves and and i like pretty much everything he does and i worked on war for the planet of the apes as a visual effects editor and seeing his process with his editor uh bill hoy um was really helpful but I will say there are, there are scenes in War for the Planet of the Apes that are too long. And there are definitely scenes in the Batman that yeah. I think they could have gotten rid of. But Darlings to kill. really amazing movies, yes. <laughs> for sure. What's Jesse, next? Jesse, were there any uh were there any scenes that you were particularly really proud of that didn't make it? Oh in, um in the editing process. No, I, I wouldn't say. I think uh, I don't think there's anything um, of mine that I think. Was there anything that got cut? I think I just in terms of um, I think some scenes got pared down. There was no, there was nothing that I saw. I'm like, how could you cut that part? <laughs> I delivered for you, Chris. How could you do that now? <laughs> um, no, yeah, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say there's anything. That's how golf feels about the drawing Muhammad scene we cut. Yeah, I'm yeah. still pissed. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, we had this great scene. Where I'm doing, I'm, I'm yelling at Muslims, and and I'm ranting about Muslims, and and I'm, and I'm drawing a picture of Muhammad. Uh, this was in reference to the uh, to the Denmark, the Danish cartoonism. Yeah, and I'm saying now I'm drawing his baby touching hands, and I'm blah blah. It's, blah, 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 blah. it's over the top. And I hold it up, and it's blank. And then crumple it up and throw. It. And I loved that scene. And well, on his point being, you fuckers wanted to kill me just at the thought of drawing that you were wanting to kill me and I didn't even do it, you know. And Jay didn't want his family to get murdered or some bullshit like that, so it didn't make the movie. (laughs) Uh, Our producer, everybody's like, you know, cut that out, but we never had anything at like we never had anything that I cut. There was, there was a just in terms of, of, of um, you know, being shocking or extreme, like the, there were a couple um, other lines from Billy and other characters like that I cut that I didn't think we ended up needing that were, that were racist and, and things like that. And I wanted to keep Billy a little more, 
I wanted him to be identifiable up to a certain time. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like if he, if he was, <laughs> he's, if the first thing he says is something racist, it's like, Oh, he's the bad guy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to kind of um, take some of that stuff out in the edit. So, and there's, the the B storyline had to do with Frankie, but I did also take out. There's a scene of Justin picking up his coworker because he's like, 